Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Are you serious? Yes, this is How to Kill an Hour. My name is Marcus Bronzy. Thank you in advance for killing some time with us. I want to jump straight into it. I'm very excited about today's show because I'm joined by a very funny man, a very woke man, <laughs> Dame Baptiste. What's going on, brother? I'm good, bro. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you very much. I mean, like, I'll be honest, we did have a little bit of a, a, a jiggle around with times for our recording. So I appreciate you bearing with me and, and making sure that this happened because I'm super excited to talk about your recent projects. I just can't mm. wait to get into it, man. But my, before- my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, I'm always enthused to be recreating with people over the, uh, yeah, this uh, whole new digital um, stratosphere and that. And uh, yes, exactly. Nice. You guys are one stone checking on the homies and uh, talking about new work and stuff. So it's all good, man. Always good. Yeah. I mean, this isn't your first time on the show. If you'd like to check when uh, Dane was last on How to Kill an Hour, he was on episode 341. And you were on episode before then. But I think if you listen to episode 341, we'll tell you the original episode Dane was on the show as well. Um, so you can check out all, all everything Dane has been up to. Um, but Dane, I, I just want to talk to you about Bamus. I want to get straight into it. But actually, you know, before that, before that, before that, actually. Mm-hmm. I want to know about you. How how is lockdown treating you, sir? Because you know it's it's we were in yeah. lockdown the, the proper lockdown number three in twenty twenty one, aren't we? This is it. Yeah, the, the, yeah. For the, for the the third one for the foreseeable future. It's a, it's the franchise that nobody asked for, <laughs> but everybody was kind of expecting. And uh, yeah, in that in, in that respect alone, it's been quite tough. Like I think the weekend just gone. I found myself yeah particularly particularly bored, uh, which is always tough. And I think for most people, it's the yeah that kind of boredom and the tedium that gets us. But I'm always able to offset that by knowing that a lot of people got a lot worse than I have. And yeah. uh, even lock- and for me, really, lockdown isn't the biggest of our society ills right now. I guess I'm bored and stuff, and I'd like to be gigging live and stuff. But really, I think there needs to be other global changes, not just ones in terms of like how the virus is affecting us. So I think we are plagued by a number of ills, not just the corona. So I'm, I'm cool, really, I guess. How about yourself? hundred percent. I've been good, man. I think I feel, I kind of mirror how you feel. I'm very aware that there's worse people that are worse off generally before lockdown. You know, there's people that had worse problems and not being able to leave the house. I'm aware of that. And also, you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to sound antisocial, but I'm all right. I'm all right with not seeing a few yeah, people. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. I mean, too. I, I think, it, but you know, it's, it, and it, should, it really helps to evaluate the fact that like a large part of our social time or our social life is spent with people who we don't necessarily enjoy the company or but have to equate ourselves with for whatever professional or capitalist reasons there are. And it's like, I think a lot of people have reached that kind of, had that epiphany where they've kind of been like, I don't need to do that to have a life. Yeah. Really? I just talk to people I need to talk to. I've, I found it's been good peace of mind where I can electively choose the company I keep 
rather yeah. than being forced into it by the uh, you know medium of my work. So I agree with you as well. It's not antisocial. It's like you know, I think most people should enjoy their own company before they go and impose on anyone else's space. Love yourself before you go out there and start loving other people. That's what I always say. Um, yeah, and around that as well, I guess I guess kind of I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I had a good few drinks over Christmas, and I said I wanted to have a dry January, and I had a very dry January. It wasn't 100 percent dry, but like damp. And I feel like I might want to continue staying very dry throughout the year. I like to, I drink alcohol. I like to have a drink. I like to have a few drinks. I might do like around birthdays and around a few other big events, but I'm really practicing the self-control of just having none or having one. I think that's easier as well. When I'm in environments that I can control as in my own place, instead of being at a bar and stuff, I find it easier to be like, you know what? I won't crack open a bottle of wine. I might have a non-alcoholic beer or I might just have a juice or something like that. So I'm feeling a little bit of self-control. Um, not the same sort of self-control when it comes to biscuits though, Dave, because let's face it, who, <laughs> eats, who eats one biscuit? Listen, you've got to substitute one vice for another, Marcus. So yeah. I totally understand that. You know, if you're just, uh, you know, the biscuits are just filling the hole where alcohol used to, I completely understand that, you know, yeah. you're swapping one type of bourbon for another type of bourbon. So, you know, <laughs> I'm with it 100% of the way. Eat, you know who eats one biscuit? Mm. Inmates and so- sociopaths. That's okay. who eats one biscuit and maybe like various pets. <laughs> biscuits are not very, allowed anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's having, yeah, exactly. And that's because they're not allowed to anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, as a child, even your most basic infant instincts will tell you one biscuit is not enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. You, need one, you just need one for the trip back from the tin. Yeah, that's what, do you know what, Dana? We're going to digress before we even get to Bamus, right? But that's the worst thing. I found myself going, right, so I'm going to have two biscuits. This is a lie, the numbers. Two biscuits while I watch TV I and drink like my cup of coffee. <laughs> Go, how many units of alcohol do you have a week? Uh, probably two. Two is a, maybe two. Two. I think I have two units a week, and that's only when you know I've got nothing else to do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I have two biscuits with you. Don't you? You couldn't even finish get through get to the sofa with two biscuits, Marcus. From the, the living room door to the sofa, you go through two biscuits just on that trip alone. Telling you, bruv, I start trying to do the maths though. You're right. I come like, right, okay, I'm going to need a biscuit on the route, on route. And you know, if it's a little dunk that I'm having as well, that biscuits, I can't, I can't, you know, eat that slowly. I've got to rush that biscuit. So if I'm dunking, I need to double the amount of biscuits. Yeah, it gets, it gets crazy out there. But um, it's just hedging your bets. It's just like, it's just like hedging your bets. It's yeah. like when I was young, it'd be like, yeah, so we're going to you this day and you're going to a birthday. Mum would be like, you're going to a birthday party. Yes, there'll be like party rings there, jammy dodgers, all the fixings and trimmings. But you can't always guarantee that. So you have to have a little bowl of food beforehand. The last thing you want to be is the one greedy ADH kid that is just destroying the buffet table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little vex food before you go to the dance. There you go. (laughs) Nowadays, yeah, I I, I think two two biscuit minimum is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that. I can see that in your campaign. Dane says two biscuit minimum. You know, you had the pubs are supposed to be opening again, but they're not going to be serving alcohol. Yeah, that's a bit of an oxymoron. When I when I heard that, I was like, "Well, why would you? Why would you even do that? Why? Yeah, why so are they doing that?" Two biscuit minimum is going to become a lot more. It's going to become because you know, for your discerning, you know, beverage enjoyer who doesn't want to go to Starbucks and deal with yeah. all of that, you know, haughty crap. Yeah, they're going to want to be able to go, you know, have a nice biscuit in a local pub. Have a bourbon with lads. Have a bourbon, and then you know that's what the point is going to get to is that people are going to be like, "Lads, this is no need to argue. Let's have a custard cream each. Talk it out." Yeah, 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 yeah. People I w- be like, 
this guy's fucking Marcus Brunzi. I heard he had a whole packet of custard creams on the way around here. He's, oh, that guy's got a problem. I'm not going to tell him, though. Last time someone said that, he put a Gary Bordy around the back of their bloody head. I'll tell you what, though, Dane. With alcohol, yeah, I secretly, and a lot of my friends don't like me saying this, I kind of want them to be strict with alcohol. I almost want an illegal, I want a zero tolerance on alcohol because I reckon the more illegal alcohol is, the better kind of prohibition bars we're going to get. We're going to get real speakeasies. Yeah, yeah, I want to go into you a speakeasy. Wanna go to, yeah, yeah, I want to go to the barber shop and I want to say, can I have a short back and sides? And, um, yeah, I want a facial with that as well. Actually, that sounds a bit wrong. Can I, can, 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 hey. hey, hey, hey. I don't know if I'm the cops off the scent, Marcus. <laughs> I want to say whatever code word it is. I want, yeah, I want, I want the men's special. It's not getting any better. I want the men's special. I want him to like go over to the to, to like a cabinet. I want him to pull a little lever and I want my chair to sink into the yeah. floor and I want to like <laughs> land next to you, Dane, and be yeah, like, exactly. hey, how's it going, bro? And I, and I just tip, tip off the door and go, hey there, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the bar person turns to us and goes, Regular, and I'll be like, Hell yes, serve it up. Hell yeah, and then he goes, that, back and coming up, Mr. Brandy. <laughs> yeah, me, uh, accountants looking through, through my paperwork. Marcus, you had 17 haircuts last week alone. Interesting, <laughs> you're like, Listen, you know, the tax and there's a write off, and uh, yeah. you know, dealing with various uh, the beard and uh, oh, 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 hair's come out there. Better get out to the barber shop to fix that. <laughs> Can't take a risk in this line of work. I, I don't know. I don't think we could do prohibition in this country. I don't. If we could go back to it, only, but I, I think that's only because you're right the first time that if people, if alcohol becomes illegal, people will do stuff like facials and literally, you know, where they spray you with like rubbing alcohol in the barbershop, people will be like, spray it in my face, in my eyes. I need some, please take that barbicide, that blue juice, and pour it in my eyes. I have not had alcohol in months. I can see people going, because I think it's people always find the way. As long as people know how to ferment sugar, then, you know, you'll get crazy shit. People will be like, what are you drinking? Uh, soy candle. What? Yeah, but this soy candle actually is made from various berries. And so I've added some yeast and now you're just like a nice beer. People, like, people will do anything, whatever it takes to make alcohol. So The most amount of hooch outside of prison for years, 100%. Anyway, Dane, before we further digress, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you back on the show, you were always welcome to come on the show, Dane, is a, a project... Oh, thank you, man. A project of yours called Bamus, which is currently creating waves. Should we just take it back to like where where Bamus came from? What, what is Bamus, maybe, and then where it came from as well? Absolutely. I mean, um, if I'm honest, I probably don't have the uh, the artistic uh, or the expanse of uh, artistic vision to know whether or not Bamus is my opus. But it really is one of the most one of the projects I'm most excited about, and uh, I'd like to think one of the. Uh, truest representations of my work that I've done uh, thus far. It's, um, so where Bamus essentially comes from is a part of my, I guess my impetus to become a comic in the first place and aspire to be a professional comedian, but it's basically around a lot of the way my horizons were broadened when I entered into the industry. So my debut Edinburgh, my debut uh, comedy show, my first one hour one man show was nominated for best newcomer at the 2014 Edinburgh Awards. For those who don't know, it's the world's largest art festival and it transpires that I was the first black British artist to receive a nomination. Now, this is obviously an amazing feat, uh, which I embrace and I'm humbled and flattered to receive. At the same time, I would be lying if I said I wasn't somewhat nonplussed by the fact that there weren't any uh, previous recipients before, because I was more than aware of my predecessors when I started doing comedy. And it was strange that they hadn't received any plaudits for their work because I'd find it so inspirational. And 
you know, then the knock-on effect of that was that I was uh, fortunate enough to have a commission for a sitcom, which is Sunny D, which then transpired to be the first black British sitcom that had been on the BBC and on British TV in 20 years. So again, an amazing career milestone and something I'm happy to be a part of. Um, but again, was very confusing and troubling that there had not been a creation of a sitcom which had a majority black cast on British TV in two decades, which is pretty much a generation. And so it began to become a lot more apparent to me than I had previously thought that there had been, I guess, the equivalent of a dark age where, you know, black Britons or any members of the diaspora had not had anything shown on television, which was representative of themselves. And as a result, an entire generation kind of lost out on, I guess, today's opportunities for people to create their own, uh, I suppose, entertainment portals via social media. So I thought about that. And then I guess it was looking at my predecessors in terms of like seeing, working out the reasons why I might be the first recipient for an award in Edinburgh and then seeing, yeah, the marginalization that a lot of my predecessors have kind of dealt with. And then it was, a fact, I guess it was a factor of looking at the career trajectory of most black creatives. There always seemed to be some kind of disconnect whereby for you to realize mainstream success with that analogy, that stream would then by the same token dilute what you were doing as an act. And so even though you'd be gaining some level of notoriety or credibility amongst larger mainstream audiences, it would come at the cost of losing credibility from your core audience. And I guess I was wanting to try to work out how to balance that duality whereby you can still be famous and remain and retain your blackness. And so how can I still be black and famous? Was how famous was the marriage of those two words. And um, as a result of which, it was kind of like I would be, and then I started seeing a lot of other things, particularly in digital media, within podcasts and the like, where I'd see shows like Drink, Drink Champs, where the explicit narrative about hip hop at the time was that it's a young man's game. If you reach over your thirties plus, your relevance and your relevance of your narrative in common in um, music and entertainment is reduced. But I always felt like that wasn't the case outside of our community. And then I saw people like Noriega who would constantly reference the fact that we should give people flowers while they are here. And so again, that was kind of the catalyst for famous whereby I wanted to create, I guess, a digital florist where you would honor my predecessors. And I guess I looked at currently, when you look at uh, the landscape of digital media, there seems to be opportunities abound for younger black and brown creatives, which is an amazing time to be in. But I guess from the perspective of being involved in the industry was aware that there is a shelf life for that appeal, whereby those of us who are doing brand partnerships and paid partnerships and having a profile now would hit a certain age where in a society which doesn't really have a lot of context for black people of a certain age. And so those opportunities would begin to dwindle. So I wanted to create basically a format which would provide just an anthology of black creativity whereby, you know, this, when we discuss race relations in the UK, it's either people who are in denial about the race relations or will try and refer to us as being post-racial. Um, and yeah, some people who were just by the token of like, or the black creatives, not seeing any representation of black people in their country for 20 years, were under the supposition that, you know, the existence of black culture was a relatively new phenomenon in the UK. And so taking all these factors into account, I wanted to create famous whereby there would be a format for black creatives, whereby it could deal with the, ex the entire expanse of it. So 
where there are now Generation Z and younger millennials which are able to understand and exploit digital opportunities, there was a generation of equally talented people that might be 20 years their senior who didn't have the same opportunities. But at the same time, those people would resonate in the hearts and minds of the British public, but there's never been any kind of vehicle whereby the public can kind of enjoy those people. So I guess more simply put, it's like when you look at things like, you know, there's Kiss FM, but there's also Kiss Street. And there's like Capital Extra, but you have like, you know, but you've also got like kind of extra gold. And so it's taking all these things whereby it's like, for most people in the UK, especially at a time where for a large amount of time, creativity has centered around nostalgia for like the last three to five years. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if we're going to talk about nostalgia in terms of like popular culture, it wouldn't make sense. It would make no sense for you to leave out who would be some of the most culturally significant icons within our, you know, popular culture. And so the idea of Bamus was just to kind of celebrate all that have been black and it would have had some fame at some point in our country. Because I think a lot of the time, the uh, career path for your quintessential black creative is that you may be at a young age and a certain age and you reach the apex of your career. And because we live in a country which definitely emphasizes both class as well as race, it's like if you are able to transcend your class, then there's almost then this need for British media to tear somebody down and kind of reduce what they couldn't do. And this is, and that, you know, transcends even races and stuff as well. It's kind of like nobody minded end ups when they seem to be like young kids out of North London when they become fully grown adults with their own inclinations and viewpoints and opinions and, you know, own desires, it became too much for the British public to enjoy. Or, you know, the same way that like you have the undeniable influence of like the So Solid crew and how big they got and being Brits awards and being on the cusp of like a, a, a nationwide tour yeah. for them, then disappear from public screen and then be replaced dubiously by like Blazing Squad. I was found kind of strange. <laughs> I found it very strange. Or, or even the fact that like, you know, you look at someone like Labyrinth, who is a writer, rapper, singer, producer. Fantastic, fantastic yeah, producer, yeah. Yeah, but then you look at somebody like that, and I read an article by him in Esquire magazine last year where he was kind of like, because he was in a song like Pass Out, he found that the pressure from record labels and stuff was that he would continue in that vein. And then why, why would a rapper make a song like Earthquake, but then also make a song like Let the Sun Shine? Yeah. And valid. And it's like, because he can. And it's like, by the same token, you know, you live, you live in a country where... Nobody questions Ed Sheeran about this. And mm. that, that diversity and range is celebrated. You mean like more specifically when Ed would rap, for example, in some of yeah. his songs? Yeah, Ed would rap and people would celebrate that and he'd have his remix and stuff like that as well. And he'd, or, or a better example would be, remember Plan B? Had mm-hmm. an entire uh, conceptual album based on that whole premise of showing this diversity and this yep. kind of range within his artistry. But then I, you look at with his black counterparts, like someone like Labyrinth, and, we, and it's not palatable to British, to the big the music industry and I put that down to the fact that it's not just a question of like you know just suppressing a, a black uh, entertainer's voice but it's, again if you have an entire generation of people who have not seen any fare from any black creatives it's very hard for them to conceptualize this fr- that this is within their own country so for me it's another way Bamus works is that I, I want to be for the for, you know for the white people that grew up watching Chris Akabusi on like Saturday morning tv or watching Andy Peters like I, those people need to understand that, you know, Chunks and Philly are the Andy Peters and all the Ants and Deck of today. And I just wanted to kind of create an, an archive and an anthology which celebrates all of these faces. And by that same token, I guess, slots them into British culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I really feel, and, you know, that, that does mean that there are discussions about race and, you know, there are some uncomfortable ones. But I think what has been the primary cause of antagonism, particularly in the UK, has been the reluctance for that conversation. And so Bamus is basically 
me grandstanding being like, we are here, we're black, we're British, we're not going anywhere, clearly. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a relatively serious answer, Dane, but uh, the show's funny. So how, yeah. how did you make it something that was also very funny? Because throughout it, it's rip-roar, but you are delivering us great value in terms of information and knowledge. How did you make it, how did you make it something that you can watch and be entertained and educated at the same time? Um, I think it's it's it's, an, it's a natural part of the gift, I guess, of you know being a black person within uh, or being an aware slash woke black person within Western civilization is that yeah. you using humor or using art as an outlet has always been a part of our rationalization process or our process of escapism, particularly when dealing with issues like race or racial oppression. Number one, so that's mm. a natural part of what I do. I guess famous has also been an extension of the work I've been doing in comedy in the first place, as whereby. Uh, rather than using race relations to discuss the pronounced differences between black and white people and everyone in between, it's more about celebrating the nuance of my existence and existence of my community and then finding the parallels between that and uh, British culture and stuff as well. And I think there's some of that, and I think that's part of it is some of the jokes where it's like people having a realisation that some of the same psychological issues or issues of consciousness that we deal with as black people are the same as anybody. Everyone knows what it's like to do with industrial frustration. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, I think ridicule is just a very effective way of dismantling, uh, you know, regressive systems. It's a, it's a very effective way of having, you know, of, of defending yourself against your oppressor. And, you know, it's one of these things whereby for every action there's an equal but opposite reaction and you could you could return the same kind of vitriol and I could come on to camera and be accusatory and be aggressive but it's not really effective so I just think humor is just very effective that like once people laugh they get there they can kind of let their guard down yeah yeah that's, that's where we sugarcoat the pill where they can start really you know looking at the themes that are being discussed in famous but um yeah funny is always my first my um my go-to first of all as well because I just think you know it's that's the most universal language. So I think that's the most universal language which covers all like, you know, socioeconomic groups, races, religions, heritage, culture, systems. And once we do that, it means that now we are speaking the same language. And then cool. I can kind of, you know, begin to articulate what I want to say to people really. Cool. Right. The only spoiler I'm going to give away jokes wise about Bamus is right at the start, Dane receives a phone call from the BBC. Hello? Hello. Who's that? It's the BBC. What? What? Just to inform you that Seleni Henry is off to Sierra Leone. Why are you telling me this? Because it's your turn. My turn. My turn. Yeah, it's my turn. Lord knows I earned it. Did it? T- tell the truth. Did it feel yeah. a bit like it's my turn? Because sometimes, because I could totally relate to that. Like, yeah, it felt it, did, it felt like that a little bit. But and but part of the fun was exploring that complex as well because yeah. I feel like that is a real. Um, complex that is developed from for a lot of black creatives or any black person again trying to thrive and also to excel within the industry is that we're all aware of the whole Frederick Douglass narrative of uh, crabs in a bucket so I think a lot of the time when we think about turns and stuff it's almost suggested to us by gatekeepers that only one of us can kind of exist within that space so I wanted to take that kind of theme and play up to it and stuff and be like oh so it's my time now yeah in this queue and it's also from <laughs> a, a comment made by uh, Stephen K Amos where he had, uh, himself had opined that Lenny Henry would need to die before I can get an opportunity because there's almost like a cue. Um, so, yeah, that was yeah a very subversive cry of solidarity amongst all of my other other uh, black comedy <laughs> creatives because it's so, it's so much often a referred to as like a, a, a solitary art form. So yeah. I kind of wanted to play up to that as well. 
and also to almost in a way kind of uh, throw people off the scent because I want people to understand that Bayman's obviously might be me at the helm, but it's very much a collaborative effort. And I hope it reflects the fact that history has always taught that real progress from a group is definitely made when we're all working together and stuff. But um, 100%. I just think, yeah, it was, it was that was just a nice bit of on the nose satire to really kind of underpin what Bayman's is about the whole time. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and, and yeah, and to be honest with you, I kind of feel like it's my turn. I feel like I'm at an age now where, you know, I feel like I'm just ready to kind of take my position and just just uh, comfortably take my seat at the table and have this uh, have the legs cemented, so to speak. You hear that comic relief? Dane's ready. Bring him through. <laughs> and it followed me, you know, just after Bayman's came out, funnily enough. <laughs> Wait. It followed me, yeah. After oh, came out, I was like, well, well. Well, maybe Lenny was logged into the wrong Twitter and he tried to follow you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's even something that is so funny. Yeah. And I, I find it very funny that, you know, it's like if you have a, a, a philanthropic organization, which emphasizes helping out continental Africans, it would stand to reason that like people of African descent would probably want to help out with that. So hundred percent, hundred percent. But I you really, do, you do, you do. All right, that's cool. I mean, you do counteract like that um, whole crabs in a bucket scenario quite literally with Bamus by making sure that you do bring through young and fresh talent, re- familiar faces, not so familiar faces. Can we talk about the talent that you involved, why you decided to work with them and what they brought to the table? Because that was really nice day, man. It was good to see you using that opportunity. Um, yeah. You could have you kind of kept it more to yourself, couldn't you? But you didn't. You decided to yeah. share the opportunity with others. I feel, yeah, I feel, I feel like, you know, that community inclination sometimes for people to feel like this is my chance and I've got to maximize it. And, you know, a lot of my friends who have been supportive friends have also encouraged me to make sure that I prioritize my own prosperity a lot of time as well, which I'm always fine doing. But again, as I say, I, I, for me, part of my uh, self-image and I guess my indicators of success come from being able to empower other creatives through opportunities I have and work collaboratively to realise the bigger picture. So, yeah, so for the show in the pilot episode, I have Tanya Moore, Lola Jagan, and uh, Munya Shawawa, who's enjoyed, like, amazing exponential success on social media over the last year. But Bayman's is actually his BBC and his television debut, which I um, uh, was very happy to be able to provide a platform for that. Yeah, man, I almost, when I kind of started doing comedy, I always wanted to, as I say, do what do for comedy what Kanye did, kind of did for music. And that is kind of to revamp the image and also just to provide a new career path for people who felt like maybe their disposition and their style was outside of the narrative or outside of the, the typical style of comedy. And really just kind of broaden that as well as including like, you know, amazing people like Tucson Douglas, who appears on the show as well. I kind of always like doing that, man. I think I think it always yields something positive. I think myself being, you know, the best example of that is that, you know, I came from working a regular job. I started my own co-founding, my own management company with my management because I didn't really feel like the industry as it existed was able to cater to what my aspirations were. And, you know, as a result of which that, that yielded me opportunities like Sunny D, where, you know, Sunny D was the first time I ever wrote for television, which ended up becoming a TV series. And so, and, and then allowed me to provide the same opportunity for, you know, the other creators that worked on there who have now gone to have amazing careers. So, yeah, historically, I always felt like we always get there together. And so... There may have been the inclination to make this about myself, but I think if you really do take pride in what you do as an artist, scarcity is never going to be an issue for you. So even yeah. like with Bamus, really, yeah. Yeah. like I, even though it's a pilot, like at my age in this industry, in this country, being able yeah. to take that concept and to realize it and to become something tangible, it's more than some people really achieve with their careers anyway. And 
And it's exactly what I wanted to do. And like I said, it's always about if I can just begin the spark or be the catalyst to spark a conversation or, or be, you know, the, the snowflake which leads to the avalanche, then I'm always happy to kind of sit in that position. I think it's also because of like lockdown and stuff is that it's allowed me to take a lot of stock of my career and what my intentions have been as a creator. And I, I, like I said, I, did, I didn't think I'd be able to do comedy for a living because I just didn't see it happening. The last person I saw was like turning the century was like Richard Blackwood. And then he had to deal with all the bullshit of like being bankrupt. And then again, like I said, it's you go from being a top comic to once you appear to be, to take your role as, as a top comedian seriously, then you're open to satire and to uh you know being ridiculed by the media and it's also one of the reasons why richard blackwood appears in the show as well because i wanted to again make it clear that you know comedy and art is subjective and uh while some people may have felt that at one point richard blackwood was seen as a buffoon for going bankrupt all this other stuff to people like myself he was a comedy god and i wanted to you know return that credibility to him in the show and also again it was for me to dovetail the whole narrative about being my turn having you know other people in the show and make sure I made it as much the collaborative process as possible as to be like showing that while I am very happy to have a turn I'm not ignorant of the shoulders on which I stand and I'm also not pulling up the ladder behind me and for yeah. me it's like that's that to me that's some of the most important part of the whole kind of artistic journey especially because like comedy as a as a as an art form people understand how that part works but so far as an industry it's a very hard thing to understand and, and very only very learned people can understand what you do in comedy anyway and so it's always nice to be surrounded by uh, like-minded people particularly where you find yourself massively underrepresented in an industry so you know it helps me as much as it helps the people I work with so yeah man it's all good man these people are like family to me and I've all known them for for a very long time and and they're just doing great things man and i think again for me that's a big part of my endeavor to be as an artist is to have the eye to be able to curate and identify you know the potential of new and upcoming artists and successive generations and just being realistic man i don't i don't want to try and be like the young guy in front of the microphone my whole life but i still want to have some artistic or executive involvement within that so yeah i'm just trying to like pattern my thing like for the next five years How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's nice. That's nice. And and you know what? I feel like you've got a much more enhanced awareness of your place within the industry in terms of what you can bring to the table and where you want to be. I mean, even when I messaged you uh, like a few days ago, like saying, oh, you know what? Love what Bamis is doing. Love the energy in the show. You told me that black programming went down last year in 2020. And, and that yeah. was a year where, where a lot of brands you'd think forward facing would, sh- would that wouldn't have been the case because yeah. we have seen in the last few months that you can turn around television and movies quite quickly. Cause we've seen things that were created during the coronavirus pandemic, like, you know, towards the end of last year. But the fact that you, you told me statistics like that, I, f- I found that quite shocking to hear. Cause I, I, f- I hope that that yeah. wasn't the case. Me too. But no, apparently it was the case. And I think, you know, and it's, that is the kind of subversive phenomenon that we have to kind of pay attention to. And if anything, yeah, it's it's one of the things, uh, one of the reasons why I just definitely try to make, remain very vigilant in terms of my narrative and my body of work. Because in the same way, you know, that program went down last year, from 2008 to 2016, we were all under the false uh, pretense that we were in a post-racial society. And so you can see how bad the problem became, is that like, people were able to justify this marginalization by being like, what's the problem with like, the program has gone down? Barack Obama and blah, 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 blah. And this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just definitely somebody who's always vigilant about the specter of the dark side falling over again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, man. And, and that seems to be the case. And I only, I, I became, I only became aware of that as recently as you did. And, and you'd think, like I said, that now we're having overt discussions about race relations and the state of which, and, you know, what the uh, ramifications have been for, uh, oppression as well as privilege you'd think that they would have some art to kind of represent that because normally art allows for that conversation to take place without you know people having to deal with the task of being on a particular side in discourse and so yeah it really just for me really reinforces why something like Bamus is so important because you know in the event that you know programming is continues to be reduced people will now have the tools and the understanding and in particular the uh, wealth and the benefit of history to be able to articulate, you know, their need and desire and the, and deserving more opportunities. So yeah, it's, it's, it's for me, it reinforces why it's important. And, it, and it's just, it's just, um, for, I mean, it's like, it's what's been happening the whole time. It's not surprising. Like, you know, you do, you take into account the government you're working with, some of the policies they try to implement and, you know, the state of the way the world is, it's not surprising that you're seeing this dwindling of opportunities for black people because a lot of the time, you know, really we can have overt conversations about addressing issues like racism, but normally it's representation within legal, industrial or economic or political circles where you actually get to observe some, cha- obse- uh, observe some change because it's all well and good if Coca-Cola or Starbucks say that black lives matter and you can buy a coffee and be like, oh, right, the coffee's got red, black and green on it. But if you can't sit on the board of directors for Starbucks or, you know, you can't affect nationalize your resources because all the coffee comes from the ivory coast then you're not really free you're not really equal and mm. so you know it's for Bamus 
to exist as a as a, a format in order to have those conversations and to say, mm-hmm, how did that happen? Why has all why has all this disappeared? How can that be the case when ten percent of all music streamed in the world is from British artists and they don't look like you think they look? Because mm-hmm. now we have the democracy of the internet. Like you see, the face of British music has changed significantly, and so yeah, in a way, I guess on the one hand, it's 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 saddening and it's alarming to hear that. But on the other hand, I'm always somebody somewhat nihilistic looks at you like, ah, oh, so they're scared. That's why they're trying to cut down this stuff. But I guess I feel like, you know, the, the ants will overcome the elephant. And I think maybe there are some gatekeepers realising the same because I think we're going to continue to move towards a point whereby producing your black programming and not accurately, re- accurately reflecting what your society and what your industry looks like is going to uh, be to their detriment. Because, you know, like I said, at some point in time where people won't believe hip hop was seen as a fad. Like rap music was seen as a fad. It wasn't something that was taken seriously. And now it is the largest artistic phenomenon to come out of the United States since the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a billion dollar industry. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess when I see things about the reduction in black and brown programming, on the one hand, yeah, it's saddening, but I think, yeah, it's let the rest of us know all to play for. This is the playing field, insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable odds. It's just another day in the office of being a black person. So, yeah, and you know what? I think there's a lot of things that I love the internet for, and I, I love the internet for uh, it being able to give people a platform to produce content that is needed by us. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, black program and black comedy, should we say, has been marginalized over the years. But Absolutely. because of the internet, I can access that. I know where to go and find it. And I think it's, it, it's a great place. I think, and I don't want to knock Munu's achievements, but the internet was a big thing that helped him to get to where he is now. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say yeah. most, most of the of the more prolific uh, comedians over the last three, yeah. four years, it's been the internet. Because yeah, 100%. If, if there was no spaces on, on, on in mm-hmm. mainstream media. So, so he made his lane, life. yeah. Made their yeah. lane, yeah. Coyote Iwumi and doing uh, Roll Safe and Hood Documentary was the internet. Michael Dapper was the internet. Mo Gilligan mm-hmm. was the internet. And these are all like, these guys have become viral sensations. Mm-hmm. Steve the Madman is now on the cusp of uh, having a, a sketch show. Lola Jagan, who also appears in Bamus, um, had really garnered, garnered as, as, as Munya did, had garnered an online. And even Toussaint, who I'd known from the circuit somewhat, but it was more seeing the way that he had begun to innovate on his videos and the kind of surreal aesthetic he had used for some of the videos is one of the reasons why I like I would love to use this guy in uh, famous. Yeah. So and, and like I said, it's how I find them as well. And it's it's really been, I, I think narratively, it's been one of the biggest boons to the to the the, the the journey of the diaspora. It's been so important to having access to the internet. I, I really believe that the face of British music has been able to change and be more accurately reflecting of tastes because of the internet. I think um, you know the same goes for where we have seen some uh, black creatives enjoy some prosperity on TV screens and stuff, again, it's come from the fact that they've been able to demonstrate a very clear amount or sentiment of support based on the internet. So it's, I think it's infinitely important. And, and you know, it doesn't take away from these artists at all. It's just the medium that we now use and, you know, the, the same one they use. And again, going back to Bamus, what I want to do with the show is kind of make that journey a very streamlined interface. So if you are somebody that watches Bamus, then you can start to become a bit more internet savvy by being referred to particular threads or particular uh, notes or particular people that appear who have a much larger presence on the internet. And by the same token, it's also allowing people who allow their appetite to kind of be built up from people they see on the internet and facilitating their return to TV screens because, you know, for such a long time, 
they felt so underserved. And so it's kind of like, yeah, making sure we kind of, um, yeah, essentially Bamus is trying to build that virtual bridge between mm. broadcast and digital and uh, digital media. So what's it's, it's what's the really what's the future big picture for Bamus then? Best case scenario for me would be that like you know we run a few seasons whereby it becomes such a a British comedy institution that I don't necessarily have to be on the show or have to exist in that kind of uh, capacity, and I can happily be like an exec producer behind the camera because you know I. With all art, really, it's got to be bigger than yourself. And, you know, this is not about me being the final word on or being, you know, the apex of creativity within comedy. In some ways, you're going to have to get over your ego and realise that you're a brick in the wall. So I guess I'm just trying to, yeah, build an institution that people can continue to push. So in the same way that, like, middle-class people have, like, Monty Python or Fast Train, you know, or we've, we've only had the real McCoy, and that was over two decades ago. Mm. Three. So I'd really, I guess, ideally, I'd want to famous to do for uh today's diaspora what uh the McCoy did 25 plus years ago i want it to be i want famous to be to black culture and british culture what um soccer am is to football love it love it and and here's hoping that that happens dane where can we go and find out more about famous or watch it that's the most important that's the best way we can support it right watch it and talk about yeah. it online Please do, yeah. Please do support it, but at the same time, check it out and enjoy it, man. It's a very funny show. I uh, stand by <laughs> it. Uh, it's still currently available on the BBC iPlayer, along with my uh, sitcom Sunny D, so please do check that out as well. But yeah, um, if you put Bamus in on all your good socials, then it will come up. But yeah, you can find it on BBC iPlayer. And we just finished having a run last week on uh, BBC One, where we were doing Mock the Week numbers. So if that helps people to get across there, that's that's all we've been doing, y'all. Say that again yeah. for the people about what kind of numbers is that? Mock of the week and numbers. You know that week we mocked that for the whole week in one day. So, <laughs> and Naomi Campbell says so, everybody. So even Naomi yeah, Campbell, nice little cosign. So um, yeah, it's been very well received, and uh, you know, and and so far as the uh, elementary uh, objectors of of famous, they've all been satisfied, and I've been very happy. Like I said, for someone like Naomi Campbell, who herself has been a massive, massive trailblazer and existed in the space where she wouldn't have seen a lot of people that look like herself, it's very important that an institution like that exists to recognise that kind of work because, you know, yeah. someone like Naomi Campbell, she, you know, she she walked or catwalked so that, you know, your Chloe's and Haley's and, you know, all the, your Rihanna's and everyone now that's been able to make this, the women of colour making the transition into the fashion world, like she walks, catwalks, everybody else could run. So, mm. you know, way before, way before people were comfortable with black aesthetics in the form of like, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race and America's Next Top Model with um, Tyra Banks. Like, Naomi Campbell was there way back. Like, when we talk about, like, even breaking America and stuff, like, Naomi Campbell was in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's the level of significance she has. So to have somebody like that who's been such a trailblazer uh, celebrate Bayman's as well, it's definitely the objective. So, yeah, man, it, it's been all good. And I really, and I want people to enjoy it. Like, I really, in a way that comedy is like an honest form of politics, like, I'm definitely, the Bayman thing, I want people to think of Bayman's as not just a, you know, a show, but it's an institution. And I work as a civil servant. Like the idea is that I just want to create, I just want to plant the tree in it. If you people, if people want to decide what the fruit is or or I was, I just want to make the restaurant and you can decide what the meals are. Like, I, I just feel like there are people who are from all of these subsectors of the diaspora, whether they may be Northern-based, Southern-based, maybe they're football or sports fans or basketball fans, genre of music fans, maybe you're into the church. It could be even, you know, scholars, academics, that have been able to inspire people. Like the two youngest entrants to Cambridge on their maths exam are Nigerian people, Nigerian kids. Um, 
we've had a recent entry into uh, Mensa from a kid who has a higher IQ than Einstein. And all I want is to create a vehicle which allows people to know all of this stuff if they choose. Uh, so, like, yeah, knowledge is definitely power. So I'm just famous as kind of like a generator. Nice, nice. And I wish you all the best of it. And I'll, I'll support you how best I can, man. I'm, I'm, I'm with you all the way, Dane, man. And it's, Dane's a very serious guy when you have conversations with him like this. But don't think the show isn't just rip raw joke after joke as well. All day, all day. All we're day. Celebrating. We're like celebrating. We're just <laughs> celebrating. I don't want to give any away. But essentially, yeah. we are, we're just we're celebrating. And I, and I think once we are able to celebrate it and have this conversation, I think that it will definitely ease race relations. And having a point of reference for everybody to kind of... Like I just think, once you know you, where you come from, it's always easy to know where you're going. And I think that existential question of where the fuck are we going is at the forefront of everybody's lips in the current times we live in. Yeah. yeah. So I think my my contribution to that is to be like, if we know where we've come from, that will help us to work out where we're going to go next. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It help. I feel I feel like it helps you to be more apolog- less apologetically yourself. So like. I feel like part part of of moving forward. I mean, this is my personal journey. Is, is I feel like I've made the most progress when I'm just like, you know what, this is me. This is what I'm about. This is what exactly. I like. And I look at all of the the best opportunities that I've had, and they've always been the fruit of that mindset. You know, yeah. I'm not saying to disregard trying to do things of the best quality that you can, or trying to get the best out of something, or, or thinking about you know the audience that you're creating stuff for, but being proud of, of it just being your own thing and, and, and making it yours and, and, and being yourself like bruv I, I feel like that's helped to tr- help my trajectory totally and I feel like Bamus is so Dane it's very Dane like I feel like I'm it's glad. just you do you know that's what I mean amazing. that's exactly that's what I want for it I, want, I really want it to be a reflection of myself and I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said Marcus I think it's been the same for me is that being the truest version of self has always led to the most lucrative and, and uh, most prosperous opportunities and, and I think and again I just think it's a it's a real point essentially where people can kind of be moving towards. It's like, you know, you only have to live with yourself. And I think more in lockdown, if you have with yourself, lockdown is hard for you. It can be very hard for you. So yeah, again, it's definitely encouraging that kind of well-being and stuff. So I, I completely agree with you, bro. Really. Cool, man. All right. Should we have a little talk about what's going on in the world of tech though, before we wrap up the show? Of course, of course. It wouldn't be the, the pod if we didn't kill the hour properly. You get me? You talk about a little bit of tech. Do you know what I mean? Just, to be fair, Dane, when I told people that I wanted to do a tech podcast, it kind of, everybody was like, huh? But you you come from one extra though. Like, isn't it going to be a hip hop podcast? I was like, no, I, I like hip hop, but I also like tech and sci-fi and stuff. It was a really, it was, it was. I had people play the petty music in the studio. You understand how tech works. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But it's such an important point because like, when you think about how much it's contributed to helping some level of equality of representation online, like you've had to have a good grasp of tech for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Yeah. Fascinating. It's, yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, in the world of tech, Dane, um, so Steph Curry on his official YouTube channel, he's doing an exclusive set of interviews called state of inspiration. Really nice. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Steph Curry, he's just a wholesome guy, any really. And he's flipping good at basketball really as well. <laughs> You can't, you can't get any better. The guy, tall, dark, handsome, talented, seems yeah. wholesome, takes care of his family and stuff. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be mad if I woke up one day and I, and I did a body swap with um, Steph Curry, tell you that much. Yeah, he's doing all right. He's he doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little freaky Friday of Steph Curry wouldn't be too bad. Oh man, that'd be a great day. But um, on on his right. podcast, on on his uh, interviews though, recently though, Dane, he had Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world, um, of, you know, a mm-hmm. philanthropist, uh, depending on, on how you, on how you feel oh, about those. <laughs> depending, yeah, depending on what part of the internet you exist on, the devil himself. 
or Satan. <laughs> 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 hey, <the vaccines. laughs> so they actually have a chat Come on, about guys. He's a nerd, man. I'm not having it, Rev. Bill Gates is gonna kill the whole world. Slap him in it if that's how you feel. Is that about- Bill Gates? I'm not saying I'm the I'm a great judge of character, but when I look at Bill Gates, he doesn't ooze evil to me. He doesn't he doesn't look like. Hmm, how shall I take over the world? <laughs> he doesn't. He, he don't come he across like that. And if I'm wrong. Does, hey, quote me on that. Does, exactly, but even if he does, like he also looks like a, a a fall on us would kill him. So for me, that's not that menacing a figure. Like he, Bill Gates might be evil, but he also looks like he looks like he's allergic to nuts. And I can't take someone like that. As a megalomaniac, that seriously, if I can kill you with a Snickers bar, how evil can you be? But like you can look at Bill Gates and he's like, he's evil. Evil? Vaccines? Gluten is going to kill this man. Come on, guys. A bread roll would, 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 put, would have him up in the hospital on, on life support. So how dangerous is Bill Gates really, people? Come well, on, man. Him and Curry, they do talk about COVID. They talk, talk about food, insecurity as well. Uh, you know, that's a big issue that we've been discussing. Education, remote learning, unemployment. But whilst they also tackle, tackled a few of those things, they also had a conversation about job interviews. And they kind of, what Steph said was, Bill, I want you to pretend you're interviewing for a software engineering job at Microsoft. Let's say you're interviewing for a junior engineer position at Microsoft. Sit in a boardroom or on video call uh, in 2020. Why should we hire you? You should look at the code that I've written. You know, I'm kind of crazy. I write software programs way beyond any classes that I've taken and think I've gotten better over time. So take a look at how ambitious I've been there. I do think I can work well with people. I might criticize their code a little harshly, but overall, I like to be on a team. I like ambitious goals. I like thinking through how we can anticipate the future. Software is cool and I want to be involved. Why does it? Why does his job interview answer sound as generic as all of us does when we get asked that question, Dave? Because I think because it is that generic answer. <laughs> because how about- it's a generic answer, and, and and you know what? It's 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 very revelatory because it's like people should understand how much how little your professed competence in your job plays in your, in the job interviews. Yeah, because yeah. Bill Gates, like I said, to listen to that, Bill Gates sounds like any software programmer ever, anywhere, ever in the world. But we're aware that he's Bill Gates, and to be honest, it's quite. I find it it's interesting to hear him respond to it. But when you would consider like someone like Bill Gates' disposition, I couldn't even see Bill Gates letting some other nerd ask him why do you think you'd be good for this position he'd be like thank you for your time i will leave and do my own <laughs> yeah so, um and he'll he'll turn around at the end of his interview and say you've got the job or not to his yeah. interviews that's what he'll say <laughs> yeah, why, exactly. why do all of these hyper nerds hyper rich nerds the majority of them are sounding like kermit the frog ripoffs nowadays why is is bill gates sounding more like mark sounds totally like kermit the frog yeah bill gates <laughs> yeah. sounds like kermit the frog's uncle <laughs> Um, I've got a couple of more questions I'll give you answers to. The the one after this is really exciting, but the second interview question was how do you define your strengths and weaknesses and how would you incorporate them into a team? Well, I'm not somebody who knows a lot about marketing. You know, I wouldn't enjoy being a salesman. For a position where you're actually creating the products and thinking through what those features should be, I'm fascinated by that. I followed the history of the industry, read about the mistakes that have been made. So product definition, product creation, very strong. If you have a team that understands the customers, the sales, the marketing, I'm not going to bring that, but I, I would enjoy working with them. So if Bareface says what he didn't like doing. Yeah, but I think, I think he's saying that, and uh, I have a theory on this. 
and it's a part of the whole the whole kind of complex of applying for a job and other stuff anyway is that obviously Bill Gates is not saying what he thinks he's saying what he thinks an employer wants to hear so by him saying I don't know good at marketing what he's saying is that I recognize that other departments exist and you delegate tasks to them and I'm happy to work as a cog within that this machine and interact with your other cogs is what he really means so I think I guess job interviews are very similar to IQ tests is that you get good at them just from practice and, yeah. uh, and telling people what they want to hear because like I don't know I, I feel like people know whether or not they like you before you open your mouth at a job interview anyway so you know if you for example if you are a woman that looks a certain way and people are aware that that will attract a certain amount of attention that might go great for you if you are being interviewed by two very pervy men but if you're being interviewed by two women who have been beaten down and embittered by corporate misogyny they might not want you to work there at all so I think most people make a decision in the same way they do with like in sales, they say they buy the person and not the product. And I think the same applies with like sales and stuff as well. It doesn't really matter what you're saying. It's just more about the main overarching question is, are you going to work for us? It's not whether or not you can work. It's whether you can work for your employer. That's mm. different. Where they go, that's why some of your strengths and weaknesses. My weakness is the fact that I don't have enough money to support myself without getting a job. That's, that's the answer, the answer I always wanted to give. That's the answer to because that's the answer to everyone's question. Why because I have to. Exactly. Why do you really want this job? Money. <laughs> you know it. I know it. How dare you? Yeah. Really? But my name's Bill, but every month I'm greeted by a number of bills. They come through my letterbox, or well, now yeah. they just come straight out of my account via direct debit. And I need certain things like i need uber eats every other day yes that is an actual requirement of mine yes i sound like somebody who can attract women with charisma sir <laughs> so i i'm i need i need uh the last time a woman was positive with me it was with c plus plus and so <laughs> i asked a lady if she'd come back to my place for coffee and she said don't i prefer java script and so because of this <laughs> i need yeah it's, it's like it's like I was saying to a friend the other day, like, dating websites don't give a fuck about you. Mm-mm. Because their business, their business model depends on people being single and looking for love. So yeah. if everybody was happy by the matches that were made, they wouldn't need to return back to a dating site to continue the process, which means that business model would only be particularly finite, which means they are incentivized to almost suggest temporary or incorrect matches because that means if people's matches or their dating fucks up, they go back to the dating site. If dating sites are supposed to work whereby you're supposed to find love, you wouldn't need to use them again. And so they're kind of, their business model is kind of based on people being unhappy in the same way that if you're a recruitment consultant, as a recruitment consultant, you're not trying to find people jobs where they will be long-term fulfilled in their careers because that means that you don't get any more commission. So that's why every three months they go, how's it going? Because they are hoping that you will still have that same professional dissatisfaction so they can continue to monetize your ennui about your particular job, which is why I tell people, the word consultant, if you rearrange the letters, it actually spells nah, lost cunt. Because all the consultant is doing, you pay them to tell you the time on your own watch. Yeah. I said it. I love consultancy jobs. If you want to have me as a consultant, I will be there for you. I think consultancy... Exactly. It's a great job when, like, look at consultancy when someone goes, yeah, like, do you think I should like... It's like, if you was a cake yeah. consultant, do you think I should check out the oven now? Uh, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Pounds, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if you t- if you take it out of the oven and it's it's too early, you can be like, well, yeah, you didn't tell me what time you put it in the oven specifically. Next time is what you should do. And if it comes out perfect, you'd be like, right, that's my consultancy, uh, and that's proof that I work. So yeah, consultancy is very yeah. interesting. And someone goes, what the fuck are you talking about, Marcus? The cake's burnt. 
Let's look at the strengths and weaknesses. The strengths <laughs> are that the oven works well. <laughs> the weaknesses yeah. being maybe your keenness of vision. Mm. Opportunities, the opportunity to make another cake with less burn. Yes. Crust on see, the side. We've all learned oh, today. So we've all learned today. Yeah. 1,000 pounds, please. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the, the question that I think kind of has garnered the most attention is salary expectations. Because obviously Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world. So how would he answer that question? How would one of the richest people in the world answer with their own mentality? What would be your salary expectations for this job and, and something that you'd be comfortable <laughs> with? I hope the option package is good. You know, I'm able to take risk and I think the company has a great future. So I'd prefer to, to get stock options even more than cash compensation. I hear some other companies are paying a lot, but treat me fairly and emphasize the options. I like the little leverage play there. That was nice. <laughs> Did you hear the little chuckle when he got asked about money? He went, <laughs> yeah. "Isn't like money completed?" Yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's like, <laughs> I, re- I remember the word, but money, you say? It's 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 in an area of my mind with hunger and um, other <laughs> yeah. things as well. Need, I don't, I don't yeah, <laughs> need. Yeah, he had no idea. Man, man, <laughs> money. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, this money thing sounds lovely. Keep that on the back burner." Now, stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was big. Do you know what, though? Stop. To be fair, there's something to learn from that, though. Like, if you Absolutely. do believe in your own product or the product that you're working with, to ask for options or some kind of um, reward for success shows that you are confident within a product, that you're willing to offer that as a company and also that you're willing to invest your extra effort <clears throat> at the ground up to, to be, shall we say, uh, compensated further along down the line. Mm-hmm. when things are good so i find that quite interesting though from him because a lot of people only think about the now when it comes to money instead of thinking about the future absolutely i completely agree with you i think yeah like I said, it's about big picture thinking and i think that however i will say does come from a place of privilege that obviously uh he's a very learned man when it comes to like finance and stuff and yeah man most people because their their presence at a job interview is a lot more dependent upon their remuneration than bill gates <laughs> so He's not thinking of money not being the object. There's not a bill coming the next week or he hasn't got a mortgage to pay. So for him, he can sit down and come and say that. But at the same time, like you said, I agree is that it's, I don't think it's necessarily a financial thing. It's a mentality thing. Mm. And he's Bill Gates uh, probably shares the same characteristics of a lot of people whereby he understands that he, like you said, you realize your most prosperity when you get to be yourself. Mm. I, I think Bill Gates probably has the same kind of sentiment as well, whereby He's aware of his value and mm-hmm. what to a company. And so, yeah, it, it makes sense, man, that he would kind of... And, and also, there's there's almost like a kind of etiquette to it that it's a good way of demonstrating to an employer or demonstrating to a collaborator that you're not just in it for the money anyway. And, um, yeah, that's actually quite an effective interview method or when you're working with somebody. Because, like me, for example, like with Bamus, I made it very clear to the other co-producers, like, listen, if I've got to sleep in this studio for us to make this as good as possible, that's on my now, like... Mm-hmm. Or, and, and also explain to them the fact that, like, I know a lot of the time people will want to have a uh, producer credit for the back end, but I am executively involved in this uh, from a consultative perspective, whereby I will be there in every step of the way in yeah. the edit itself as well, because it means that much to me. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's that it, it does betray a um, a common character trait amongst like entrepreneurs. I think, yeah. Do. About the bigger picture more than anything, because did you hear a story about the dude? Uh, one dude um, got a sneaker deal in the NBA, and I think he was either offered stock options 
or he was offered, uh, I think it was 250,000. Yeah. Which he took the latter and the stock options were in a relatively unknown company at the time called Nike, bro. And I think today, I think they said today his stock would be worth about 100 million now. There you go. There you yeah. go. I actually, actually read um, 50 Cent's book. It's called Hustle Harder, I think it is, or Hustle Smarter, sorry, uh, or Curtis Jackson's book. I, I read that the other day, and he speaks about one of the um, mixtape producers that he worked with. Uh, I won't drop his name when I let you read the book, but he worked with a mixtape producer who he went down to his basement studio and recorded some content with. <clears throat> now, when 50 got signed... Uh, he said an invoice came in from said producer without him having the conversation with him. And he was like, all oh, right, well, one, that's a bit like weird. Talk to me, innit? I'm still here. Let's have the conversation and let us know that you want some money. Two, how about I offer you slightly less money and I give you a point on my album? And a point is in the record industry is just like, just call it a percentage. Do you know what I mean? Like take 5% of my album sales. And the producer was so adamant that he got paid directly and didn't get the point on the album which then went on to sell like 10 million copies you know yeah, what I mean? exactly yeah would have been yeah, yeah. well worth yeah. a lot more than the money that he asked for yeah this is it because you're thinking like even with jason weaver who played the voice of simba on lion king yeah he was offered initially i think he was offered a, a half a million buyout and uh, his mother said he wouldn't take it and he took a point instead on the um the song just can't wait to be king so still eating today so, yeah, eating like a lion. Has <laughs> the lion share even today? Yeah, yeah. Even, even even Beyonce when Beyonce did Homecoming on Netflix. Yeah. Instead of taking the buyout fee, she took shares in Netflix. There you go. Oh, shares in Netflix. Oh, that's nice. I mean, at the same time, I'm not trying to say I'm some I'm a business guru. It can go wrong. You can take the point or you can take the shares instead of the fee. Everything gets yeah. fucked up. But it, 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 yeah. it can happen. It can happen yeah. either way. But at the same time, if you, it's always going to be more uh, palatable a lesson rather than a loss if you are in control of it. I, you yeah. Know, if you yeah. if you make the choice, I can I can I can take that on board. That's how responsibility works. And again, it's a part of the whole complex of being an entrepreneur or being a creator or is 100%. that you, know, you take those risks, but it's it's high risk and high reward and, and you get the choice yeah. and all of that. And you know, in many ways, as, as though the opportunity to fail can can be there, it's still a lot more exciting than just knowing waking up every day and knowing what's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, for me, and I'm not knocking anyone that's got a nine to five. I'm not knocking anyone that's got a regular job or a very fixed routine. I've I've worked like that, and I'm and I'm very good at, at work. I've yeah, and I would if you ever need to work that nine to five yeah job, and it's cool. But I feel like for me, I I, I enjoy project based work. I enjoy the excitement and 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 variety that you get out of that. And there's there's positives and, and negatives around both of those. But like, I think if I was to just take gigs all the time and everything was just a fixed gig and I had, it had nothing to do with my performance. I just got paid and all right, you did all right. So you get paid the same amount. It didn't do that. Well, you get paid the same amount. I'd fall out of love with the game. Everything that I'm involved in where I have a direct relation to the success of it and I can get like rewarded from that. If I do well, I feel like I'll put the extra effort in and I feel like a team of people that know that they're working towards a shared goal, like that have, you know, if we do well off this, we're not just going to have fun. We're going to eat off this as well. Yeah, exactly. Compared to if we do well off this, we'll get paid the same amount as if we don't. You kind of get that kind of employee mentality where you're like, you know what? Because still, the, one of the things I loved about working, like you know, in, in in retail and stuff like that, was I could come in and have a bit of a half-assed day, still get paid the same. I could come yeah. in feeling great, still get paid the same. And I thought that was great. That's that's a great have sick sick pay. That was amazing for me. Have a day or annual leave. Fuck, I'm so jealous of people with annual leave. You get me? <laughs> but you know, it's how it is. I think as you're younger and you're entering into industry, so in any kind of new arena you find yourself in there always needs to be some element of stability and routine for you to kind of understand and boundaries yeah, exactly as well. exactly but, but as time goes on like you said I, I feel like you know 
you get to a point where if what especially because work is such a large part of the human existence yeah. then you want it to be a part of you that's quite fulfilling i think i think like i said I, if people want to have the structured and do the routine thing nothing wrong with that yeah there's nothing wrong with it nothing but wrong i with think that. but i do think however for the sake of human well-being there has to be an outlet outside of your either uh, professional or social obligations where your whole drive is just yourself and you're fulfilled by your actions and it is an expression of yourself and that's even that can even be like the way in which you like could be the way you make a sandwich to be honest with you but you need some i think it's important especially the kinds we're in now where there's a point of expression where you are at your most unabashed unashamed unapologetic self and like I said, even if it's as small as something as the way you make a cup of tea you every human being needs some form of expression some way of imprinting their existence onto something just so they can perceive it and like i said it's like it's just like how to mirror to yourself so yeah i'm definitely like you man i think the idea of trusting my fate in the hands of somebody else isn't something that ever kind of sat well with me and mm-hmm. i didn't and also like i said i don't think it lent to me realizing my full creative potential anyway so i used to work in like i at the supermarket and like i said i liked it whether i'm good bad hungover and stuff i just go and chill at work and do my job in it but a job and work are two different things i think mm. and so, yeah, there are a number of different parts of our lives where we have moral obligations whether it's paying tax abiding by laws whether it's helping your family out in particular ways or but you know there has to be something that the only thing that drives you is your own drive i think mm. for the sake of well-being yeah man yeah man 100 percent, dane uh, before we get out of here though um we are we are talking about more things that are less kind of topical so that uh they last a little bit longer basically but there is something that's been doing the rounds on the internet a little bit silly way of, of us to fi- a way of us finishing off the show um, I don't know if you heard about the girl that tried to do her hair and ran out of this product oh, called yeah. Hairy Glue or whatever. She's um, <laughs> and she decided to use Gorilla Glue instead to fix her slick back ponytail. Now, I'll start with the positives. You are probably aware of this if you're listening to the show, but, you know, let's just give you it. The ponytail was very well, very slick, very she neat and tidy. Amazing. It looked amazing. It looked fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, she looked great. However her hair was stuck like that and she's kind of been campaigning to get her hair fixed i don't know where she's in the moment last time i got an update she'd gone to a couple of specialists and they'd given her some nail varnish remover sachets to use in her hair but what was your take on this Dane? my take on it is that um we wish for a very speedy recovery but um the lady in question the update i found out is recently her, her, her instagram account has become verified so she's now become an online personality I saw um, she had half a million followers, but she's now verified. Okay, cool. Yeah, now she's verified as a result of it. And unfortunately, she I think they've had to remove the part of her scalp, the hair, the hair. On oh, the scalp. okay. Fuck. Yeah, so they have removed all the part of the gorilla glue, so all the um, baby hairs and the edges that she's so impeccably um, stuck down mm. have to be removed. So if she, if it, hopefully it will grow again naturally or she can get a transplant. I think the best thing and the most sensible thing would be for the investment in the state of the black woman's hair and scalp to be rivaled with that of NASA. And I won't rest until the research into the protection, curation and enhancement of the hair of black women is invested in as much as uh, the Israeli Defense Force. Hundred percent, bro. Because um, we cannot have this happen again. This can't happen um, again. Never again. Not on our watch. Protect black women. Protect their scalps, Marcus. Because if you don't, you're not going to hear about Marcus. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Because I don't want I don't, that. I don't want this. I I I don't want Any black women's hair to be known to be known. I don't want that. I don't want this to be the biggest thing in black women's hair in 2021. All right. Because so far it is 
we need to change things. Do you know what though? Like, I, I, I actually thought it was a joke and it wasn't until I saw her putting moisture on it and like putting shampoo in it. I was like, oh my God, she actually has put super glue on her hair. And I was like, she can't be the only person in the world that's done that. It can't be the first person that's done that out there. So do we have to give a public disclaimer to say, do not put Gorilla Glue on your hair if you're listening to the show? Do not put any type of glue in your hair, please. I mean, yeah, if we're going to be responsible and educate and entertain, do not put any type of glue in your hair. And unless it's bonding glue, and even then, it's only supposed to bond to the tracks, ladies. And I, and I feel <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, sorry. I was like, like, yeah, you do need that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and you know what? I don't even want to say, that's what I'm saying, Mark. This is such a politically tense issue that I don't want to even be risk being seen to be mansplaining the nuance and the equivalent competence for astrophysics that is the hair of black women. Mm. I'm just going to say, let's hope she pulls through. And like I said, more research into the protection and curation of the scouts of black women. Because, yeah, I mean, you would think you shouldn't put Gorilla Glue on your hair, but then my sister also used to have this type of hair gel that was called jam, and that shouldn't be on toast. Yeah, I had I had some jam as well. That that helped my hair curl up when I had a. I've got long hair at the top as well. I used to throw that jam in. This is what I'm saying. Like you know, that's it. We we want to keep. Did did it smell nice? Yes. Did I maybe lick a little bit of it when no one was looking? That remains to be proven. That Listen, remains to be pre- maybe. We're not going to sit here, Marcus Bronzy, and act like people have not seen cherry flavor lips um, lip seal and tried that shit. I'm yeah. not going to sit here, audience. We're not going to sit here and have you infer that you've not been to Body Spot, Body Shop, and seen a delicious type of shea butter spread and thought, mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. But, uh, exactly. We've all been there, guys. We've all been there. I don't know what to tell you. If you're gonna if you're gonna put fruits in people's um, hair products and delicious things, they're gonna try it. Mm. And Gorilla Glue just sounds strong. Gorillas are strong, vegans, but they're also endangered. Yes, and that's why you shouldn't glue their glue to your head. And I like that line of logic there, Dane. I think that's how we wrap up today's show. Where can we find you online, Mister ba- Baptiste? Um, I'm on all your good socials, so find me on your uh, Insta, Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc. And just look up Dame Baptiste, you should be able to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would please encourage everybody to check out uh, Bamus on BBC iPlayer. It is a very, very funny show, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also know Naomi Campbell says so as well. You want to say Naomi Campbell's wrong? Do you like getting slapped in your face? Why do you hate Skepta? Grow up, everyone. We'll have loads of fun. But yeah, I'm on all your good socials, and people can also find me on my podcast, uh, Question Everything. Um, which is available on Acast as well. Um, so yeah, I'm about, I'm about. Nice, man. Thank you very much. You can follow me at Marcus Bronzy, M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y on all socials. And obviously this show is at How to Kill an Hour everywhere as well. Dane, we'll make sure that we put a link to Bamus in the show description and also to all your social medias as well. Thank you very much for killing some time with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, sir. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.